sometimes as we look at your word, if anybody is on their way, that you bring them to us, and we ask you to guide and lead us and show us what you would want us to see from this section. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 11. Jesus has been preaching in the temple. He basically, he declared on several occasions in the temple that he was God. They were getting ready to stone him, so he left. <laughs> All right. He, lo he left, left Jerusalem, and he's been... Uh, escaped out of their hands to where John the Baptist was baptized and been baptizing in the past about a day's journey from, from Jerusalem. So, John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. And it, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent him to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that he said unto his disciples, Let us go to Judah again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and you go there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light for him. These things he said, him, and after that he said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall be he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. All right, so we're going to stop there. So here's a very famous story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Uh, so he sets, John is setting the stage that there was a man named Lazarus of the town of Bethany. Bethany is a town about two miles north northeast of Jerusalem. It's over by Mount of Olives. It's more east than north, but it's about two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus is going to spend a lot of time up in Bethany on his last week. Uh, so he's saying, this is where Lazarus lives, and we have Mary and Martha. We've seen Mary and Martha in various, various places. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening while Martha was busy trying to get a dinner together and got mad at Mary for not, not helping, uh, being a bad hostess. Uh, so we've seen, the, we've seen them before. And then he goes to verse 2, and it's very interesting. He goes, and it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, this is kind of interesting because when we read the New Testament, we find out that Mary is an extremely common name for women. Uh, there are at least five Marys in the New Testament that we know of. All right? One, of course, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. The other one is Mary Magdalene, which was from Mary of Mag Magna, where, who had the demons cast out of her. We have Mary of Bethany, which is this Beth Mary that we're talking about here. 
Yeah. Uh, we have Mary, the wife of Cleopas, which is Mary's sister-in-law. Uh, and she is the mother of, uh, of the relatives. And so we also have Mary, the mother of John Mark. All right, so we have several Marys. Mary is a very, very common name. It's kind of like John in our day, or let's see, what's a woman's name? Mary's still a very popular yes. name in today. Not quite as not quite as popular as it was then, but uh, but it was a very popular name. So, <clears throat> and so John is making sure that we know exactly which Mary we're talking about. He's going. This is Mary of Bethany. And I'm sure there were more than one Mary and Bethany, but this is the one that he goes to further. It's Martha's sister and Lazarus' sister. So he's very specific on which Mary. Uh, one of the places we find in when we get to the resurrection is he goes, Mary the mother of Jesus and Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary. So it's like, which which of the other Marys are you talking about? Right. Uh, in there. And that throws a lot of people off and gets them upset because there's all these... Marys, and the problem is they didn't have last names. Right? Uh, you were identified back then by whose son you were. Uh, so when I mentioned this before, Jesus would have been known to the people in Israel as Yeshua, Joshua, Ben Joseph, or Yosef. Jesus, the son of Joseph, because he was considered to be the son of Joseph. Uh, so all of this would be, you know, we think of in terms of, well, give me your first and last name, and I don't know exactly who you are. It wasn't done back then. So pretty much nobody had last names? Nobody had last names. You had a title, Jesus the Christ, it technically is his name, not Jesus Christ, but Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Uh, you would have also been known by, you know, like I said, Jesus, son of Joseph. Uh, you know, because not not too many of the Jesus probably would have had been the son of Joseph. So by going son of, you identify which which family you belonged into. Yeah. Okay. And That's even for us, most of our names, if you studied them, you know, uh, you know John Smith, basically is comes from a family of Smiths, mm -hmm. uh, whether blacksmiths or coppersmiths, you know. Uh, you know, a forester or mm -hmm. you, know, yeah. you know, farmer, or names all the usually was the occupation that the person had, and it just become now mm -hmm. a surname right, right. to to, yeah. tell, to, to identify. And it's only been a few years that that's been really happening. Well, a couple centuries now, but you know, in time, and as far as history goes, a very short mm -hmm. period of time uh, for that. It goes. Therefore, his sister sent to him, saying, "Lord, behold." He who loves you is sick. Now, this is something very interesting. Mary and Martha go, our brother's sick. Jesus is spending time with us all the time. He, he is definitely going to come and help our brother. And it's a big deal because women in that time, if they lost the one that took care of them, were in trouble. You know, if you lost your father or husband, your brother, and you had no male in your family, you were... A widow and you were at everybody's mercy. Mm -hmm. So they're desolate at this point. Uh, you know, how sick is he? We don't know the word here for sick. Literally is that he is powerless. He is feeble. He is powerless. They, maybe the doctor had come in there and said, you know, uh, your brother, you know, prepare, you know, prepare the last will and testament. Your, mm -hmm. your, your brother is sick and there is nothing we can do. 
they call to their friend Jesus. He's been healing people. He heals lepers. He's raised, he's raised people from the dead already when the widow, you know, going through town with her son and Jesus healed, brings him back to life and they're going, Jesus can do this. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus is our friend. Yeah. <laughs> we know he's going to come and help us. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that's what they were thinking of. Well, I shouldn't say I know, but I am sure that that's what they were thinking. Jesus is our friend. All you got to go is find him and he will... He will be your heartbeat to, to take care of Lazarus. He loves Lazarus. He loves us. We've been taking care of him. We've been feeding him. We've been, <laughs> you know, we've been doing all these things. We know that he's going to come and take care of one of his faithful servants. Mm -hmm. And this is our this is our setup here. You know, Lazarus is sick unto death. Everyone, okay, we can get Jesus. And we're going to see the people say the same thing about Jesus. And when Jesus gets the message, he says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus already knew what was going to happen mm -hmm. in this situation. He says it's not unto death. Even though Lazarus is going to die, mm -hmm. Jesus knows that Lazarus is not going to stay dead. All right? Mm -hmm. uh, he goes, but this is for the glory of God. God is going to get glory by this miracle. And we're going to see in this chapter that he gets glory. Many people decide to follow him, and the enemies get even stronger against Jesus because of this miracle. But Jesus already knows that, you know, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to stay, you know, he could have said he's not going to stay dead, but it's not quite what he did. He goes, this infirmity is not unto death, but for God's glory. He knew what was going to happen in this situation. And he knew the pain that would be involved with it as he's going on. And it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this was a family that he deeply cared for. Mm -hmm. And this word for love is agape, mm -hmm. uh, which is God's love. And when Mary and Martha called for it, and I forgot to bring this on in verse 3, it says, he whom you love is phileo love. It's, you know, the love of a friend. Right? You're, the one that you love as a friend is sick. And here it says Jesus loved them unconditionally. All right? In, in verse 5. And when he heard thereof that he was sick, he abode two more days in the same place. Now this is going to be the one that is going to be the sticky place for Mary and Martha and for others. Jesus gets the message, the one you are, the one you love is very sick, is feeble, helpless, basically probably on his deathbed. Mm -hmm. And Jesus stays where he's at a day's journey, preaching, teaching, whatever it is he's doing there for, for two more days. Mm. I can almost picture the, the disciples, you know, looking at each other. We're gonna get a little closer view of that in just a moment. You know, they know that he's been chased out of Jerusalem. He's been chased away from that area. On one side, they're probably looking at, well, this is the, the smartest move he can make. Yeah. Why would we want to go back there and be arrested and killed? But at the same time, this is the Messiah they're following. He's supposed to be the leader who's afraid of nothing, and he spends two more days, two day, you know, a day's journey from, from Bethany, and they're probably looking at him going, all right. Yeah, he's worried. Messiah, strong, going to take over the thing. 
Is he worried about going back to Jerusalem? I really don't want to go back here. And, and fighting with the idea that I don't want to go back to Jerusalem anyway because I don't want to die and I don't want to see him dying. And so they're going, world's best answer, stay away. Friend dying, Messiah, and they're struggling in between with what's going on. Much the same as what we go through all the time. God, I know you want me to do this, but man, that doesn't look, that doesn't look like a very smart move. This is the smart move of, you know, and struggle between what looks right and what we know is right. If we knew it was right, we'd just do it, hopefully. Uh, so he sits there and he waits two more days, and the, and the disciples are probably thinking, yeah, this is a smart move. Don't go anywhere near Jerusalem. You know, they wanted to kill us. And then he says, after that, he said to him, let us go to Judah again. So he waits two days, and then he goes, okay, now we're going, now we're going back. Now they're really confused. All right, he was doing the smart thing, staying away from Jerusalem and Judah. Now, after waiting two days, he wants to go back. Can you, and I just want to be able to picture this confusion in their mindset. And we see it in their answer in verse 8. And the disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and you go there again? What are you thinking? <laughs> exactly. What do you think you're doing? You know, this, we, we agreed with you, even though we love him and it was wonderful. We agreed with you that we should just stay where we're at and go build our army. And when we finally go to Jerusalem, we'll have an army with us and train, and we'll be able to take everything over. You know, they probably didn't say that. But this is what they're thinking, because they're thinking... We're following the Messiah. Messiah is going to raise up an army and he's going to make Israel the center. Rome is going to be kicked out. And so they were set up for this. And now all of a sudden he's saying, okay, we're going to go to Judah. We're going to go, we're going to, go to Judah. And they're going, they don't say it here, but they're actually saying, are you crazy? What are you thinking? What are you thinking about going to do this? It also shows us that the disciples had a lot of concerns for Jesus. They were always concerned about his safety and well-being, more so than he was, which probably drove them crazy. You know, they were coming up. You know, we're the we're the, the lords, the dukes. The, the you know, we're going to be the chief men. We're going to be his generals, and he's doing crazy stuff. You know, and they were always trying to protect him and treat him as a king and. And all of that, you know, so you can't really come out and say, are you totally insane? <laughs> but they could come as close as they could, saying, you, you know, no, 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 this is not a, mm -hmm. you know, this is not a wise move to go back there. You know, just, just a few days ago, these guys wanted to kill you, and now you want to go back. You're wanting to go back. And they're walking that very fine line between, you know, disrespect of saying you're crazy and... Mm -hmm. Okay, if this is really what you want to do, maybe we don't understand anything about this. And he's already been driving them crazy talking about death and, and resurrection, and they're not understanding it. So they're already struggling with this whole thing. And now he's talking about going back to someplace. Just a few days ago, they wanted to kill him twice in the previous chapter. All right? And he's going, we're going to go back. And then Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If a man walk in a day, he stumbles not because he sees the light of this world. World. If a man walks in darkness, he stumbles because there is no light in him. Basically saying, when I'm following God, when we're following God, we're walking in light. And this is something for us as Christians even. 
when we are being obedient to God, we are in the light. And there are so many times when I see things that the world does not see because I'm walking in light. Mm. And it's like, oh, all right, look, oh, wow, yes. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's like seeing through the magician's trick. Mm. If you've ever sat in the right place when a magician is doing their trick to, to see through it, uh, I was sitting in one time with a magician, a fellow that I know who is a magician, he works at the prison. He was doing a trick. When he did it for me, he was, I was in the wrong place and it looked so wonderful. I'm going, wow, how did he do this? Yeah. I was sitting there talking to them and somebody came in and he did the trick to them and I was sitting on the side. <laughs> and I go, oh, that's how it's done. And I'm not telling you because he paid money for that trick. Oh, but, but it was just, oh, now that trick doesn't seem so wonderful because I know how you did it. All right? Uh, and Jesus is talking about that. When there's light, when we're walking in the light, Satan is really shown to be the flim-flam man that he is. And I think at times when I think of this, you know, if you watch the, the Wizard of Oz when they're in the, in the court with Oz and Toto pulls the curtain back and ignore the man behind the curtain, you know, and then all of a sudden they realize, hold it, that pipsqueak over there is Oz. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what we look at when we're when we walk in the light, we see through Satan's facade. And the scripture tells us in one place that when they gaze on him that made the world tremble, they will go, is this the one? When they see Satan at the white throne judgment, it's going to be one of those pictures. That little pipsqueak is the one that made the world tremble. And Jesus says, if we're walking in the light, we'll see, we'll see it. You'll see the traps. If you're walking around in a, in a, you know, on a field with no, with lots of light, you see the traps, you see the pits, you see, you know. And Jesus says, "We can do this. It's not going to be a problem because we are walking in the light." Verse 11 says, "And said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I will go that I will wake him up out of his sleep." So he says, "Lazarus is just sleeping." All right. Now we know that in the New Testament, oftentimes they refer to sleep as death. All right, but this is one of the first times it's been mentioned this way. And the disciples go, well, if he's sleeping, he shall do well. We know that if somebody's sleeping when they're sick, it's a good thing. The body heals. They're, 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 they're holding back his strength. So the disciples go, well, what, what's your big deal? Why are we going to go hazard our life if all he's doing is sleeping? Mary and Martha can wake him up. You know, uh, the servants can wake him up. Why do you have to go? wake him up. It's a good thing that he's sleeping. He'll come to us when he's ready to, when, when he's ready. I just lay out because people don't really think about this story the way it, yeah. the, the, the fullness of the way it's coming out. And Jesus, in verse 13 says, how be it Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he spoke of taking a rest of sleep. And then it says in verse 14, Jesus said unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. He is dead. Now he's just told them that this sickness is not unto death. Now he's telling them that it is dead, but he also told them that he's going to wake him up. So can you put yourself in the disciples' position here? All right, Jesus, you said he's not going to die. Now you're saying we're going to wake him up. Now you're saying he's dead. But you said we're going to wake him up. They are just struggling with this just as much as any one of us would. Yeah. 
Okay, you said he was going to die. Now, we know you don't lie, and now you're telling us he's dead, but you also said you're going to wake him up. So we're going to go see the resurrection. Maybe they, maybe they processed it that far. I don't know. But they're sitting there trying to figure out the same thing we do when we go through the scriptures and we come up with things that just don't make sense. All right, you said this, and then you said this, and you said, okay, how do we put these all together? And he doesn't really explain this to it. But verse 13 says, For I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent or so that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. They're processing this idea that he's going to wake up somebody who's dead. And Jesus is saying, I'm glad I wasn't there when he died, but now you're going to see the miracle. And this is hard sometimes for us to understand. God does things in his own time. He could have rushed right over, laid his hands on him, and Lazarus never died. But he purposely waits for Lazarus to die so that he could do the healing, the resurrection. Personally, I think he did it just to fully irritate the leaders so that they would bring his crucifixion about. I think it was done on purpose because he knew that he had to go to the cross and die, and he had to trigger that irritation, which we're going to see by the end of this chapter. If we get there tonight, I don't know. But by the end of the chapter, it's going to, we're going to see the leader saying, one person needs to deal rather die rather than the whole nation. And I think Jesus did it. The whole purpose of God was to motivate that uh, execution to be at Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, he was orchestrating it as everything. Uh-huh. It's done by God to orchestrate what he desires. Even though we can't see it, Jesus knew that he had to put the, or Jesus, God, knew he had to push things into existence. So the healing of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus, was the big push that starts making them want to seek his life for healing. Up till now, they want him dead, they want him. But now, here's a big miracle. Somebody was healed. Yeah. Uh, not healed, excuse me, resurrected. That is a big, a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because now people are going, you know what, this guy just might be, you know, we could go to war with him and we get killed and we he'll bring us right back in, you know. We we, we can defeat we can defeat Rome with an army that can't be killed. I never thought of that. <laughs> you know, that was the way people would have been thinking. Oh sure. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, he can bring back to life. Yeah, we can follow him. We die. We die in his cause. We, we'll raise yeah, we can raise right back up. So, this is that final little kick that is going to lead into the crucifixion just just a week later. Uh, so we have all of this going on, and I love Thomas's answer. Then said Thomas, which is which is called Didymus, which means twin unto his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. <laughs> they fully expect to die. Oh, oh because of the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people right. have been wanting to kill Jesus. him. Now we're going back to where they wanted to kill him. We know now that he's insane. He's looking to die. He's been talking about dying. He's talking about raising this man from the dead. But we're going back where the people want to kill us. But you can also see some fatalism here, you know, if he's going to die, we're going to go die with him. And there was not a strength in the Jew, in the, in the disciples' beliefs. Peter's going to say, I won't deny you at all, I will die with you, no, and I believe he fully meant it when he said it. 
Thomas at this point is saying that, hey, you know, if he's going to go die, we're going to go die with him, and we're going to... We're going to defend him to the death. We don't know exactly why. Yes. But he says, hey, if he's going to go die, let's go join him. Let's go, let's go die with him. But these are good followers. You know, when somebody is following a leader that they fully trust, they're willing to go even into a situation where he says, we're going to do something. And they look at it and say, I don't see how this can be any good. But hey, you know, we're going to follow you. It happens in military battles. It happens with kings. Uh, you know, we're going to charge that hill. We're going to all die. But you say we're going to take that hill. So we're going to go with you. And somehow they make it to the top of the hill and yeah. take the hill. Because they have that much confidence in who they're following. That's where, you know, Thomas is being a great example of that. You know, hey, you want to go die? Well, you know, not really sure that I want to die. But if you want to go die, then we'll go, we'll go die with you. And uh, so it was very interesting statement that he's making that shows us their great love and compassion uh, and it goes back to verse 8 where they say you know hey the Jews wanted to kill you back you know the kills the Jews wanted to kill you just a few you know just a couple, a couple days ago all right so they're still they're still there so we're going to die when you get there most likely because they know where they they're going to know they have set this trap for you and they baited it with Lazarus you know, they're going to know that you're going to come to take him, so you, you know, they're going to be all around. So they're absolutely sure that we're going into a trap, we're going to be arrested, and we're going to be, you know, you at the very least are going to be stoned, and we're not going to let them stone you, so we're ready to, de- to defend you to the death. It makes sense. So this is where they're at, and these are the little statements that they're making as they're, as they're coming, coming through. Verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will, also, will give you. And Jesus said unto her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believe you this. She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said this, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come and calls for you. All right. Jesus is making his trip from where he's at about a day's journey. Because it took one day to get there. He waited two days. He gets back and Lazarus has been dead for four days. So he's not in Bethany yet. But somehow a runner or somebody. It's amazing how fast news has always been able to travel faster than we can get someplace. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how it got there, a runner went ahead saying, hey, prepare the house. The master's coming. Uh, you know, the, the messenger finally goes, okay, he's finally moving runs back and says, okay, he's on his way. We don't know exactly. It doesn't tell us how, we, how she found out. I believe it was the messenger come. He was sitting with Jesus for two days saying, 
uh, you know, probably in his ear, uh, are you ready to go yet? Come on, he was really sick, you know, <laughs> they really need to see you, would you please get going? And then he starts moving, and they, and they, they probably ran for, ran ahead of everybody to tell, oh, he's, he's on his way. Now, whether he told him that he waited two days or not, I don't know, but, um, but it says that he found that he had been in the grave for four days already. What's significant about four days is pretty much the fact that four days was as long as the Jews felt the resurrection could happen. They, they believed that after a certain period of days, four days was the middle of the morning period, uh, they, up, up to seven days and the body could be theoretically resurrected, but after seven days the spirit would totally leave and you could not resurrect a body. That didn't match up to stories in the Old Testament, but <laughs> and there were several resurrections in here. Mark 5.41, Jesus had healed Jairus' daughter, but Jairus' daughter had only been dead for a couple hours. All right? Uh, the man of Nan, who was the, the mother, was carrying her son, the son to it in, in Luke uh, 7.12. They were, he came across a wedding, a, wedding a, a funeral procession, and the mother's crying and everything, and he raises her, you know, resurrects her, her son. So now, instead of minutes, like Jairus' daughter, we're now talking about hours, you know, maybe the morning to the night, because at night they would bury the, bury the body. Uh, now, Lazarus is a very interesting case because he's four days dead. So this is a big deal. Big deal to them is that he is dead for this long a period of time. And, you know, and Mary comes up to him. Oh, verse 19. And many Jews came to Martha and, and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. This was something that happened. The mourning period would go for on for about a week. Uh, Many times families would hire wailers to, you know, the more noise you could make, the more sympathy you had, and the more you cared about your people. And I don't see this necessarily being the case of Mary and Martha, but maybe it was. They were, they were Jewish. They might have hired a, a, somebody to wail for them. You know, it's, uh, but the more noise you made, the, the more you cared about your, <laughs> or the more noise that was made in your home, the more the, the person was cared for. Uh, and so many had come. This also tells us there's something special about Lazarus that we don't really fully understand. Many, it says, many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary. I don't know if they were very wealthy, very respected, position of a power. We're not told anything about Lazarus other than many Jews came to his uh, morning wake, whatever you want to call it, funeral, although it's technically not a funeral, it was a wake. Uh, so we don't know why. Many of them may have been set in a trap. This is one of Jesus' friends. Many of us are going to be here so that when he comes to the family, we'll be able to take him. We don't know all of what, why. It's not told to us. I can only speculate on, on various things. I have a feeling that he was very, had some kind of position of uh, respect. And then it says, verse 20, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary stayed at the house. Now, I don't know if Martha just didn't tell Mary. Mary might have been totally uh, despondent and not ready to do anything. Um, maybe Martha wanted the opportunity to chew Jesus out on her own without 
Mary, we don't know, but apparently Mary wasn't told. <laughs> and Martha goes out to meet Jesus. Now that fits your picture of them, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, Martha being the great, the good hostess, because she's the one that got after Jesus. Don't you care that my sister's making me do all the work? You know, so I can picture her being that way and saying, I'm going to give him a piece of, when I get out there, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And that's what she starts. You know. uh, her first words are, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. <laughs> and I don't think it was being very nice. If you had just gotten yourself in gear and gotten over here, my brother wouldn't be dead. And I think that's how she was really putting it. You know, why couldn't you, you know, you healed the centurion's you know, servant just with a word. You did this. You, you healed people just by speaking. Why is my brother dead? We thought you loved our family. You know, she's not quite crossing that line, but you know part of what's in her mind is if you had just gotten here, if you had just put a little more haste in, if you had just spoken a word, he would not have died. And so all of this is coming down from, from her, and it goes, but, even, but I know that even now, whatever you will ask of God, God will give you. He's been dead four days, and I know that even if you asked for that, my brother would live. So she's having a little bit of faith. She's having a little bit of struggle with it. Lord, if you had just hurried up and been here, he wouldn't be dead. But even now, I know that if you ask for him to be alive... He'll be alive. You know, do, do a miracle. Do a miracle. And this is a selfish miracle she wants. This isn't a miracle. She's not wanting God glorified. She just wants her brother back, who is their who apparently is their care, caregiver. These seem to be two women that are, do not have husbands being taken care of by their brother. Now, I can't prove that, because, but we never see anything about, their, about a husband in any of this. It's all about the brother. We need the brother back. He's the one caring for us. Now, whether they're widows or spinsters, you know, you know we don't know why they're not married uh, or had been married and lost their husbands, we don't know. But Lazarus is the one that's caring for them and going, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't be dead and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be on my own right now and Mary wouldn't be on her own and we thought you loved us and, you know, but, you know, Jesus, we know that even now, if you speak, God will answer. And Jesus answered in verse 23 and says, Your brother shall rise again. Now, he's answering her question the way she said. Whatever you ask, will, God will give you. And he says, Your brother will rise again. But in her fogged mind, she's not hearing that. He's going to rise again. She goes, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. I know that at the end of the time, he will rise again. She had just said, you know, I know that you, whatever you ask, will, will come in. What she wanted to hear is, okay, I'll ask God for, a, you know, for your brother to be back to life. He said, your brother shall rise again. He just didn't say it the way she wanted to hear it. She interpreted, of, well, I know he's going to rise again in the, you know, rise again at the end days. Yeah. You know, I know, my, full, I know my, my truth is that, you know, the righteous will be raised, raised, resurrected in the end days. Yes, I, I know that he will be raised again, but can you do this a little sooner? <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die, believe you this. Now, Jesus still isn't correcting her misunderstanding. All right? He says, I am the resurrection. I am the one that brings all things to life. So at this point, yes, he's doing that. And the life, he goes, I am the life. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, this is our great truth as Christians. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will not die spiritually. When, we, when our body drops dead, we just transition to be present with God. This is what Jesus is saying. I am the, life, the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you shall not die. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believe you this. Do you believe that I am the life? That I am the life and that life is everlasting? And that spiritual life is more important than physical life? Because this is what he's saying here. You know, I am, I am the true life. I am the bringer of life. I want to give you this life. And I am the life. And she says, Yea, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, which should come into this world. I believe that you are the Son of God, the Almighty One. So she's going, Well, I know that you can do this, but he's already alive in heaven already because he didn't die. So now she's really struggling. How do, I, how do I process this? It's the same thing that we as Christians have to do when we process the, the death of a saint. Do we get mournful and tie, you know, tied up because they went home? Or do we rejoice that they went home? Now, for me, I rejoice when people go home as long as I know that they're a Christian. But this is because I truly have been hammered this, into this this idea you know when my dad died okay dad's gone but he's not gone he went home I look forward to the day that I get to go home and this is what Jesus is telling her now he's all said he you know when Jesus said he this sickness is not unto death he literally meant it's not unto death even if he didn't bring him back to life physically he didn't die he went into heaven and all of this is becoming very important for us. How do we view death? What do we look at death being? Is death the end or the beginning? For us as Christians, it's the beginning. That's technically not even the beginning. Our, our asking Jesus to be our Lord and Savior was the beginning. It's just the continuation uh, in a different, different location. And when he had, she had said this to him, she went away and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, the master has come and calls for you. Now, we don't get a message in here that Jesus asked for, for Mary. Obviously, the message she gave, somewhere along his conversation, he goes, now go get Mary. Go tell Mary. And she pulls her away from the crowd and says, the master wants you. you know, why? Because you know, this was a tender moment. She has loved Jesus you know, greatly. And we're... And, John said at the beginning, this is the one that wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair. That's not going to happen yet until later in this chapter, but you know, she has a great love for Jesus, a great care. Uh, 
You know, and different people have looked at the different Marys and, and all this and said, well, any one of them could have been you know, a mistress to him, and I'm sure many of them wanted to be. This is the great leader. I would love to be his, his queen. <laughs> uh, you know, and I believe she had that kind of forlorn hope. You know, I'd, love to, I'd love to just be his. You know, and she shows that kind of love to him, You're sitting at his feet, listening to him teach. Wiping, wiping, you know, cleaning his feet and wiping it with her hair and all of that. You know, there was a great love that she had for him. Uh, not that it was ever reciprocated, but, but she had these great feelings for her and desire to be, be uh, his, you know, close to him. In verse 29, and as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came into him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews then that were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily, went out and followed her, saying, She goes to the grave to weep there. And when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping that came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind and caused that even this man should not have died? <coughs> Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, came to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. So we're just going to stop. So Mary, as soon as she hears Jesus is coming, gets up quickly and runs to, and runs to go see Jesus. And all the people are going, oh, she's going back to the grave. Look at, look at this. She's so overwhelmed. She's running back to the grave, and they follow her. All right. Uh, and they were trying to, they, they were following her. And it says, when Mary met Jesus, she fell at his feet. She's in great sorrow and go, Lord, if only you had been here, he would, my brother would not have died. Just like Martha. If you had just gotten here, he would still be alive. And I kind of wonder, I mean, why didn't any of them think, well, Jesus, if you had just spoken, he wouldn't have died. But they're all looking at, that he had to be there. And pretty much that's the way most people think. If I'm going to be healed, I've got to go to the church and get anointed and, and be laid on hands. You know, they can't just pray from wherever they're at. You know, that's a lot of people who actually feel that way. And verse 33 is very interesting. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. He was literally... Um, agitated he was distressed at what he saw uh, now why was he distressed I personally believe he was distressed at their lack of understanding of what had happened because he already knows what's happened you know he knows number one that he's going to raise Lazarus but he also knows that Lazarus is in heaven I have always looked at this and wondered what exactly is it that Jesus wept about? Did he weep because he knew what he was pulling Lazarus away from, which is what I think? I'm taking your brother from heaven. 
because of your selfish desire to have him here. Now, he never says that, but he's groaning. If only you really, truly understood what you're wanting. You're wanting your brother to be pulled from heaven back to this world of pain and suffering so that you will be happy. And I think that's why he went. I, you know, they, the, the Jews, <laughs> look how much he loved him. He's crying. Yeah. You know, he wasn't missing him. He, he, knew where, he, knew where, he knew where he was at. He knew exactly what was going on. Now, I've looked at people, and I've heard long messages on the words he wept about how Jesus loved people and cared about them, and, and he was so sad that Lazarus died, and I think he was sad about what he was going to put Lazarus through just to take care of the sisters. Now, I believe he understood the sisters needed to be taken care of, and at the same time, though, God could have taken care of them. You know, so I think he was weeping because he knew what Lazarus was going to be put through. And I hope when Lazarus was resurrected after four days that God did two miracles for him and wiped out of his mind, wiped his mind of what heaven was like. Because I can't imagine what it would be like to be in heaven and come back to this world. That would make this world pure hell if you could remember what heaven truly was like. And this is why I, I have trouble with all these people who say, well, I died and I went to heaven and I experienced this. Well, I don't think you experienced heaven. You saw something. Maybe God showed you some small glimpse of it, but you didn't see heaven. Otherwise, you'd be miserable in this world, completely miserable. And so Jesus wept, and the Jews interpreted it with, look how much he loved him. Look how much he loved him. He is sad that his friend is dead. They misunderstood his weeping so much that there was going on in there. And then they, some of them said, you know, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind and caused even this man should not have died, couldn't he have healed his friend? This is a time of question for them. Couldn't he have stopped his friend from dying? He's weeping. He's sad that his friend's dying. He's healed the blind. He's resurrected other people. He's healed the sick. He's healed the lepers. Why did he let this man die? That's their question. They're that's an accusation. I think these are his enemies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this guy was so powerful, and yet his very friend he couldn't take care of. And look at that. He's crying because his friend died. Yeah, I think it was very, very accusative on this. Much more than what it sounds. I mean, it sounds bad enough. But I think there was a lot of attitude behind it. You know, <laughs> look at that. He, he healed others. Same thing on the cross where, where they were saying, you, you healed others, you rescued others, get yourself down from this cross and we'll, and we'll follow you. Same type of attitude. Yeah. <laughs> you healed all these other people and you, can't even, you couldn't even take care of your friend. And now you're crying because your friend died because that's how they interpreted it and, I, and they don't understand. Then Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, came to the grave, and it was a grave, and a stone lay upon it. And we're going to stop there, because Jesus now is at the grave. He is there to where the healing is going to be, be happening. Jesus' tears were very silent tears that he was going through, uh, because he's, we're, we have the wailers. <laughs> And when it says Jesus wept, it was silent. It was just kind of tears running down his, down his cheek. It wasn't a wailing, bitter, bitter one. 
And when these people said, couldn't he heal? You know, we have so many different things where he healed from a distance. The Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7 came to him and said, my daughter is sick. You know, would you heal her? She's got a demon in her. And Jesus gave him the whole long story of, you know, I don't go to, you know, I can't go to the Gentiles yet. And she says, well, you know, I called her a dog. And she says, even the dogs get the, you know, get the scraps. And he healed the, healed the woman's daughter from a distance. He never went to her house. Uh, the centurion's servant in Matthew 8, just the centurion said, don't come to my house. Because I'm a man of authority. I, you know, I understand authority. You have authority. Just speak it and it'll happen. Uh, the official's son, you know, in John's fourth, you know, was the same thing. Jesus just spoke. And this is what they're arguing. Jesus, you could have just healed this man. You know, and there's probably people, what did he do that you didn't like? Did you lose your power because he's a friend? You know, uh, these others were tricks that you, you know, that you did. We don't, we don't know exactly what's going on, but the accusation, you couldn't help your friend. You couldn't help your friend, and they finally get him to the cave. We're going to stop there because the resurrection will happen after that. Lord, we ask you to bless us. Lord, help us to see that you are in charge even when it doesn't look like you're in charge. You are in control even when we don't understand it, that you care for us and have great, great needs and, and desires for us that you will show us at, at, at the right time. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.